morning, North County. It's great to see you this morning, and welcome to those online this morning as well. If I've not met you before, I'm Pastor Kurt, and I'm glad to be able to take you uh, into this series today. It's going to be a great day of, of kind of putting some things together. Um, there are some things I really value in life, and I just want to say, uh, I want to share one of them with you this morning. And one of them is that when somebody sees me and they know me, and they really um, care enough to find out you know, what I'm about and all that sort of thing, and then they realize that I'm not perfect, right? And they still love me, and they still accept me. I think that's one of my favorite things in all of life, when you find those people, you know, you know what I'm talking about? You find those people who really know you, they really see you, and yet... And yet they love you, and yet they accept you. And you don't feel judged by them. They're going to speak the truth to you in love. But, you know, they're, they're your friends. And they're there for you. And I really, I really love that. Uh, and what I want to say today is we transition from Old Testament into New Testament. And we see kind of the fulfillment of things from the Old Testament. That I want to say to you that that is God's heart for you. And I love a lot of things about God. There's so many things to appreciate and be thankful about, about God But this is one of the things I think I love about him the most, and that is that he pursues us and wants relationship with us, wants friendship with us, and even when we fall and fail and let him down, he is still faithful to us. And that's what we've been finding out through this last six weeks about a God who keeps his vows to us even when we break the rules. And I think there's such a great scripture in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 1. So if you want to turn there. We're not going to study this today, but I just want to read it because it is so rich having to do what God's plan was for us from the beginning of time. And here it is, Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We are the beloved. The church is the beloved, right? In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. And might I add, even when we broke the rules. He lavished upon us in Christ all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. You know, I just want to say that sometimes we think that that God was surprised by sin in the garden, like it sort of happened and he's like, oh no, you know, we need plan B. What are we going to do? But that's not the case at all. This was God's plan from the beginning of time that he would give us a redeemer. There would be a great redemption and that the law would would prove that it was not enough and that people were not able to keep the law. And so Jesus would come. And that's always been his plan. So that's number one in your notes today, that God's plan has always been to redeem us through Christ's sacrifice. Uh, What does the word redeem mean? Basically, it means to buy back. Or, or to find that which was lost or that which was stolen. And it's so important, as we have talked about the Old Testament and God's covenant with us for the last six weeks, it's so important for us to understand that God's plan has always been, has always been to redeem us through Christ and his sacrifice. This was not plan B. 
This was the plan from the beginning of time. And, and if you will, the law and the sacrifice system was really set up to point Israel and to point us toward the great redeemer who would come, Jesus Christ, right? That's what the law and that's what the sacrifice system was for. And, and God knew from the moment he created Adam and Eve, he knew that we would not be able to keep the rules. God knew that, didn't surprise him. It was no surprise. So in the Old Testament, the countless stories of our sin and then God's faithfulness to restore us uh, to relationship with him time after time after time, this was a foreshadowing of what God planned all along, that the eternal covenant would come finally through Jesus Christ and the great redemption. Now, I just want to review you through the last six weeks very quickly. I'm going to go fast here, but you've been learning these as we went along, so it shouldn't be too challenging for you. Uh, if you're new, sorry about this, but we've spent the last six, six weeks really seeing the faithfulness of God to keep his covenant with his people. That's what it's been about, right? The vow keeper. All through the Old Testament, God's covenant points to the time when Jesus Christ is going to come and fulfill everything in the Old Testament uh, with the eternal covenant that he's going to make with us. It's called the great redemption. Because no matter how hard we try, we can't not break the rules. You know, we are just rule breakers. It's the sin nature that we were born with. But God, can you say but God with me today? But God the great redeemer still keeps his vow to redeem us. So let's take a couple minutes here. God's vow began with Adam and Eve. Remember, he vowed to give them all they need. He vowed a perfect environment, a beautiful garden, their needs met. But even then, they can't keep the one rule, you know? They give in to temptation. They sin. They disobey God. They're, they realize they're naked. Uh, they're ashamed of that. And so what does God do? God covers their nakedness with the skin of an animal. And we can presume it's the first animal sacrifice. And this is the very first time that you see the foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do for us as he's going to cover our shame with his sacrifice as well. And then we didn't talk about Noah, but you have Noah and his family as, as God gave humanity a fresh start. Remember this story? And he vowed to never again what? Destroy the world with a flood, right? God vowed. And that's what the rainbow is all about. It's the sign of God's promise in the sky. And then God calls out Abram, and Abram obeys God, and God says, You're righteous because you obeyed me. And Abram used his faith to believe in God. And I just want to take an aside here this morning and remind you this morning that following Jesus is not so much about feelings, it's about faith. It's about choosing to believe that he is who he says he is and making the choice to follow him. And of course, hopefully there's some feelings involved, you know, along the road and, and you enjoy following Jesus. But really, faith is a choice based upon what you hear and what you read from the word of God. The Bible says faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God, right? And the feelings will follow. So when Abram's 99, God vows to him that he'll be the father of nations. He's going to be blessed and he's going to be a blessing to all people. And this too is a foreshadowing. You see Jesus in this, that through Abraham's line is going to come the, the Messiah one day, and that, and that Messiah is going to bless all nations, all peoples. Everyone around the world is going to have the opportunity to be blessed by Jesus. And then we see that God fulfilled his vow to deliver Moses. Remember that story? You like the story of Moses? That's a great one, isn't it? Moses and the children of Israel from Egypt. God hears their cry. God sends the plagues to convince the Pharaoh to let his people go. And the final plague 
is what breaks the bank. The final plague is what is what the final straw that breaks the camel's back, if you will. And the final plague is the angel of death taking the life of every firstborn male. And God tells Moses to have his people kill a lamb and sprinkle the blood over the doorposts of their home. And if they do this, if they obey God, then the angel of death will pass over their home and will not you know, kill any of their children. And that's, that's where we get the word Passover, and that's where we get the celebration of Passover, that this is what happened for the children of Israel. And this, too, is a, a foreshadowing. If you look through the Old Testament, you see Jesus all through the Old Testament as these covenants and these promises and these sacrifice systems point clearly to him. So this is the foreshadowing of the saving power of Jesus' blood as it's poured out over us and, and, and we're freed from the power of sin and death and the grave. Amen. Isn't that good news? That's awesome news. So read your Old Testament. It points to Jesus. And God finally fulfills his covenant with Abraham. And he has Joshua. Remember just a few weeks ago, we talked about Joshua leading his people across the Jordan River into the promised land, into the land that God had promised to Abraham so many years ago. And we see Joshua fulfilling that promise to Abraham. And Joshua himself, many scholars point this out, that Joshua foreshadows Christ, or he's a figure of Christ, who will lead us uh, into our promised land eternally. And that's heaven, of course, right? So here's another foreshadowing of Jesus Christ through the story of Joshua. But I want to take a moment, and just in the Jericho story, we didn't talk about this in our series, and I want to point it out, because I feel like if you think about redemption, you have to think about this story. It's such a powerful story. And in the Jericho story, you know, um, uh, Joshua sends spies into the land, right? And we see the thread of redemption through this story as these spies go and they find this woman named Rahab and she's a prostitute on the wall. And they go and they stay in her home and, and she, she decides to hide them from her government. And so she rebels against and actually defies the government by hiding these spies of Israel in her house. And you might argue that if she had not hid them, they might not ever had the battle with Jericho and won the battle of Jericho. And so uh, she says, in return for me hiding you, when you come back to destroy the city, would you save me? And would you save whoever's in my home? And so they say, yes, when we come back, all you have to do is hang a crimson cord or a crimson robe, a rope out of your window, and we'll see that cord, and we, anybody who's in your house will be saved. And many scholars and researchers say this is such a clear sign, the crimson cord, such a clear sign of the blood of Christ, the crimson blood of Christ. And, and even as she hung the cord out of her house, and her whole household was saved when Jericho fell, uh, here you have uh, this representing the crimson blood of Christ that will save us if we will only place our trust in him. Again, it, and, and it's remarkable that after this all happens and the dust settles and, and the air clears, eventually Rahab marries into the line of Christ. And she marries, and if, if you look at Matthew chapter one, you'll find her name, this woman who was a prostitute, you'll find her name in the line of Christ. It's just remarkable the redemption that God does and that God is not put off by our condition. And that God is not put off by our sin. And that God is not put off uh, by the things, the, the wrong choices we make. But rather God pursues us and wants us to confess those things and repent. But then God will clearly redeem our lives and use us. Our past should never hold us back. Our past should never determine our present or our future. God wants to redeem our lives. And then you have the, the three kings, Saul, David, and, and Solomon. 
and how David's sin, remember, was so great, but God's grace was greater. Amen? Who's happy about that? God's grace is greater than our sin. That's good news. And how God redeemed even David's sin and how he allowed David and Bathsheba to have a second son after the first one died because of David's sin and how that second son was named Solomon and Solomon was the one that God used to build his temple. Remarkable story of redemption as you see God's love and grace show up not just through Christ in the New Testament, but also all through the Old Testament. Yes, God's a God of justice, and we see that clearly through the Old Testament, but God's grace and God's love and God's redemption shines throughout the Old Testament if you will just pay attention. So then years and years go by where Israel does evil over and over and over. They worship other gods, they sin against God, and God allows their capture And God allows their exile. And after 70 years in exile, God is true to his oath once again. And he stirs the hearts of the pagan kings. Remember this story? He stirs the hearts of the pagan kings to help bring Israel back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the walls. And Steve did a great job talking about, you know, the the one great thing in our life last week. I hope, have you guys been practicing the one great thing? I hope you have. Everybody's got one great thing God's doing in their life. But we see then the the sacrificial system is restored because Israel had lost that while they were in exile. And the Passover is celebrated once again, pointing clearly to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who will give his life to ransom back his world. And that brings us up to today. So today we're crossing over from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And today, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Now, it's been 400 years since last week. Just saying, a lot of time has passed since the rebuilding of the temple and the walls. Time flies, right? And with God, a day is as a thousand years, so, you know, who's counting, right? But, but in that time, in that 400 years, a lot of stuff's happened to Israel between the wall and Jesus coming. And some of the things were they've been conquered multiple times, uh, but stayed in Jerusalem, conquered by the Greeks, conquered by the Egyptians, conquered by the Syrians. And finally, if you know your Bible history, they are conquered by the Romans, in 63 BC. And that's where we find Jesus is under the, the Roman rule. And it's very oppressive. You've read the stories. I mean, the Romans are the ones that would eventually put Jesus on the cross. And Jesus comes into Jerusalem the week of the Passover. And I want you to know this is very significant. Like God planned this to the T. Any planners in the room? Let me see. Any people that love a good plan? God planned this to the T. And finally, here's what it really is. Finally, the one to whom all the Old Testament points to, the one to whom all of the Old Testament foreshadows, the one whom all the Old Testament prophecies, prophesies about, over 300 prophecies that Jesus would fulfill. In fact, mathematicians say that it's astronomical that a man could fulfill these prophecies. They say it's, it's really impossible. The odds are not in your favor <laughs> to fulfill all of these prophecies, but Jesus did. One of the ones he fulfilled was Zech- Zechariah 9.9, where it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Hundreds of years before Jesus came, this was the prophecy given that he would ride in on a donkey's colt. Just one of the many, many hundreds that were given. And also, I want to just bring up today the way the sacrifice system pointed to Jesus Christ. 
You know, we, we tend to detach the Old Testament from the new and we can't do that. The Old Testament clearly points to Jesus Christ and what he would do, what he would fulfill and the sacrifices that the, Jew, that the Jews made all through the Old Testament clearly pointed to Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, I was talking to our, our resident uh, guy, Larry, who's, who loves Judaism and he's really studied up in it. And so he sat with us on Tuesday and gave us some insights. And he said, you know, there were five sacrifices that really foreshadow Jesus becoming the ultimate eternal sacrifice. And I want you to know what they are. I think it's important. Because here again, there, there's the Old Testament that points to uh, Jesus. So here it is. The first one is the burnt offering. And this is the offering where the whole lamb would be placed on the altar and sacrificed to God and, and it would be consumed by fire. And, it, and Jesus became this gift. If you think about how he died and what happened to him and being separated from God, he was really consumed in a sense, right? His, his life was consumed by the, the father's plan and, and by the sin that he had to take on himself. Isaiah 53 says in verse 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. So God's plan was that Jesus would be consumed. That's the burnt offering. Uh, The second offering is the grain offering. The grain offering was really for people who couldn't afford meat. And so it was a poor man's offering. And so people would bring this grain offering. And it was said when you brought the grain, because there was no blood in the offering, you were actually bringing your own self. You were bringing your own soul, if you will, the, the nefesh. Of you. You were bringing uh, your soul as the offering as you brought the grain. And this is such a great picture of what Jesus did. He, he sacrificed his whole self, didn't he? Body, soul, spirit. He sacrificed everything that he was on our behalf. So that's number two. And Isaiah said in verse four Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. And then you have the sacrifice number three, the peace offering. The peace offering. And this is the offering where the fat and the organs would be sacrificed to God. They'd be burned on the altar. And then the priest would receive a breast and a thigh. And then the rest went to the one who was giving the sacrifice. Like you'd get, you'd get to take some lamb home, right? And this is called the peace offering. And, and really this is found in Christ as well as, as the peace offering with God and man is established. And Jesus established that through giving himself. He made peace with God, Right? And Isaiah 53, 12 says, I will divide him a portion with the many, like the lamb was divided as a portion with the many. Isaiah said, I'll I'll divide him a portion with the many. And and then in verse five, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And then we have the sin or the purification offering. When someone became unclean, they touched a dead person or something happened that they, they became unclean or impure, they would be separated from the community. You couldn't be around this person until they brought an offering uh, to be made pure or to be made clean. And so the sin sacrifice reconnected people to community. Now, do you understand what that means in, in Christ? How Christ's sacrifice for sin and for purity has connected us with one another and has brought unity through the Spirit and has connected us to God? This, this, this offering is such a beautiful picture that Jesus makes us pure. We can't make ourselves pure. We can't be good enough to be in community. We can't be good enough to know God, but Jesus purifies us and through his sacrifice makes us righteous so we're right with God and then he brings us into oneness in the body of Christ and we are one in the spirit. Beautiful, beautiful picture. Uh, Verse six in Isaiah 53 says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus bore our iniquity so that we could have community with God and with one another. Beautiful, beautiful 
picture of Jesus. And then finally, the guilt offering, Isaiah 53, 10. And this is the one that simply Isaiah says, uh, the Lord's, uh, his soul has made an offering for our guilt. That we don't have to carry our guilt anymore because the Lord's offering, his sacrifice, takes our guilt upon himself. And there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So really beautiful expression in the Old Testament of what Jesus would become as he rides into the city of Jerusalem. And that's why I tell you this. As he rides into the city of Jerusalem, Jesus would become the sacrifice that the sacrificial system pointed to for hundreds and hundreds of years. Jesus would provide the blood of the Passover that would bring us into peace with God. But what's different about his covenant and the old covenant is that Jesus' covenant is eternal. And the old covenant was temporal. It was just for day to day and year to year. It didn't, it didn't ensure anybody eternal life. It simply meant that they could live in a better way through the sacrificial system that God would provide. But this covenant from Jesus would be different. It would be eternal. And, you know, the prophet Jeremiah prophesied about this sacrifice of Jesus that would come, this new covenant of Jesus. I want to read it to you today. It's powerful. Again, hundreds of years before Christ came, Jeremiah says, the day is coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. Again, surprise anybody. They broke that covenant. Though I loved them, as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. What a beautiful, beautiful prophecy, prophecy that, that Jeremiah was making about what Jesus would do for us in the new covenant. And that brings us to number two today, that Jesus is, Jesus is God's new eternal covenant to Israel, blessing all the nations, blessing all the nations, not only for Israel, but all the nations of the world. So let me take you there this morning. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, can you see him? Riding into Jerusalem on the donkey, he would embody several aspects of the Passover. He would take on the actual meaning of the Passover. So even as he, the Lamb of God, remember, John called him the Lamb of God, even as the Lamb of God entered the city, at the very same time, unblemished lambs for the sacrifice were being brought in from the countryside for Passover. So again, picture this, the symbolism and God's incredible planning. As Jesus rides in, the lambs are being brought in. It was probably crazy. There would be hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of lambs that would be sacrificed for Passover. And here's what would happen with these lambs. These lambs would be put in, you know, kind of a contained area and they would be watched for four days for blemishes because you didn't want a lamb with a blemish. So if a lamb broke his leg in the next four days or if a lamb got too dirty in the next four days or got in a fight and got bit in the next four days, you know, they would not qualify for the sacrifice. So they were watched four days. Well, do you know where Jesus was those four days? Jesus was in the temple. 
Jesus would spend those four days of watching in the temple where he would teach the elders and the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and he would be watched, he would be questioned, he would be cross-examined for any blemishes in his character, or any blemishes in his teaching. And just like the lambs were being watched for blemishes, Jesus, the Lamb of God, literally was being watched, was being inquisioned for any faults that they could find with him. And you know what? They didn't find any fault. The Lamb of God who had come to take away the sins of the world. So the lambs would be chosen for having no blemish. Jesus was chosen by God, obviously, because he was unblemished. He was without sin. The Passover lambs were sacrificed as a peace offering with God. Jesus was sacrificed so that we could have peace with God, so that we could be right with God. The lambs were consumed by the priest and the people, and they were offered to God. Jesus, in a sense, is consumed by us as we take him in to our heart, as we receive him and all that he's done for us. There is, and I'm not being sacrilegious when I say this, there is a, like a consumption that happens you know, even as we symbolize that by, by eating his body, the bread, and, and drinking the wine, the blood, there, there, there's an internalizing that happens with Jesus and his sacrifice. So Jesus is received into our hearts. Now for the Jew, Passover, again, was just simply earthly and temporary. It didn't have an eternal consequence for them. But in Christ, the beauty of our new covenant with him is that it's eternal and he will forgive our sins forever. There will be nothing that will be held against us. So at the end of Jesus' testing in the temple, we find him, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice of the Passover, spiritually speaking, getting ready to eat the very meal that he is the centerpiece of. Does that make sense? He's getting ready to eat the Passover meal with his disciples for the last time. Matthew 26. If you want to turn there, this is our scripture for today. Matthew 26, 17. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. Again, I just want to point out so clearly the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament that God had timed the sacrifice of Jesus, his lamb, to coincide with the Passover celebration of the Jews. The city was flooded. Thousands and thousands of Jews would make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And Jesus was with his disciples in a room eating the Passover meal, really as his final act of worship before becoming the sacrificial lamb himself. But this Passover was different. It's different because Jesus added something to the meal that had never been done before. You know what it was? It was communion. It was the Lord's Supper. Verse 26, after they had eaten, and now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said to them and gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Clearly, number three in your notes today, Jesus Christ's blood 
is the sign and the seal of God's eternal covenant with all who believe. You know, the, the blood is an interesting topic. I think people today have a hard time understanding this talk about blood. It, you know, it can, it, it can seem strange. It can seem, seem weird. So you have to understand that this is the blood of, of the God-man, eternal God, and the power of the blood is the fact that he's, he is deity. He is the son of God, and he's gonna give his blood uh, for this eternal covenant to forgive our sins. Paul, who was a Jew, and he understood the law better than probably anybody else, wrote this in Romans 8. He said, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us. He's saying, you know, what we practiced all those years was good. It was good, but it was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. You know, there's, when there's a law, the law requires something, right? And so one of the laws did was define for us or describe for us um, sin. And so where, where there is a law, there is a need for the penalty to be paid for sin. And it's true in, in our laws. If you break the law and you get a ticket, you gotta pay the penalty, right? And this is true of of the law of nature or the law of spiritual nature that God has set up, that there is a law and there's a penalty to be paid for the sin. And Jesus, here's what he did in the new covenant. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. Okay, that's it. He paid the penalty for our sin. It says in verse four, he did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. That's the gospel. That's the power of a savior who loves you so much that he would come to this earth, limit himself to a body of a human that he had created, by the way. You know, he created humans. Now he's going to limit himself to his own, you know, creation model. And, and then he's going to bear the most horrific price for our sin. And he's going to fulfill the covenant that the law could not fulfill the covenant that God promised, but that people kept breaking, right? The rule breakers. Jesus came to fulfill that. And again, I want to say to you, this was not like plan B. This was always in God's plan. God really, you can look at the law uh, as more, you know, setting us up for what we really needed, which was Jesus Christ and the covenant with him. So our God is the vow keeper. He is the God of love and grace. Never forget that. God loves you. God wants relationship with you. That thing that you long for, like I long for, in the depths of my soul, to be known, to be loved, and even when I'm imperfect, to still be accepted, to still be wanted, that deep desire that I think each of us have, I'm aware of it, is satisfied in Christ. It's satisfied in Christ. Christ loves you that way. And yes, he wants us to see our sin. And yes, he wants us to confess our sin. And yes, he wants us to repent of our sin. But his approach to us is, look, I, ha I have grace for you. 
I have grace for you. There's no reason for us to not be in relationship. That's what Jesus Christ, I think, would say to each one of us today. So his plan from the beginning has always been to redeem creation and to redeem each one of us like he redeemed Rahab. Like he redeemed Rahab. You know, consider Rahab this morning. Maybe you've been in places that you've done what you knew you shouldn't do. Maybe you've had sinful times in your life. I have. I've had sinful times in my life. Maybe you've done things that you regret in your life. I have. Maybe you've failed in your life. I have failed in my life. Maybe you've sinned like we all have and like we all sometimes still do. And maybe today you struggle with grace. You struggle with really receiving God's perspective of you, God's heart for you. You know, we are our own worst enemies. And again, think about what would have happened if Rachel had disqualified herself and said, I I can't do this. You know, would have rewritten the story. Of course, God would have come out glorious as he always does. But she would not have had the opportunity to be used in the way that God used her. And she would not have been saved. And she might not have been a part of the lineage of Jesus. And I think we're our own worst enemy because I think that oftentimes we, we have a hard time believing and really receiving the grace of God. That he really would forgive us of our sins. Even today, this sin that I committed this morning or last night or tomorrow, God would truly forgive us and love us. And still, here's, here's the thing I want you to get. And I know I, I struggle with this, so I think maybe you do too, that he would invite us into relationship with him that we would feel invited by God into relationship with him, that we would believe that we're invited into relationship with him even when we fall and fail. And I'll tell you what what separates us from God and what keeps us on the sidelines in life when God wants to use us like Rahab. What keeps us on the sidelines is this sense of condemnation that we have. And we have a hard time letting that go. We have a hard time letting go of guilt. And we battle with that. We struggle with that. Our whole life. And, and Jesus is simply saying, hey, I've got a, a new covenant for you. You don't have to battle with sin anymore. You can simply come to me, confess it, and let me forgive it, and we're good. I want relationship with you, is what Jesus is saying to each one of us. And so today, as I close, I simply want to say that God, throughout the Old Testament and the New, has always been the great Redeemer. God has always been the one with the heart that wants to buy back every condition that he comes across and if possible, use it. If not, you go to exile for a while, (laughs) you know, but he'll bring you back from exile and he'll rescue you from Egypt. God has always been the God that wants to redeem our lives. And so as I was getting ready this week for this message, I, I was overcome with the realization there there are people in our church who who know Jesus you're saved you, you understand you're saved but you're still having a hard time really receiving grace for some of the things that you've done or do or thought or think and I was just really impressed I feel like the Holy Spirit just wants me to pray with you today and I think the application of of this message today would be simply that this week we press into the grace of Jesus and receive the friendship that he has for us and the relationship that he has for us and, and lay that guilt, lay that condemnation, lay that shame upon him. 
Lay it on him. Come on, once and for all, whatever you did, lay it on him. I, I remember that I've had to do that with my sin. That's the only way I've ever felt free to do what I do. Honestly, it's the only way I've ever felt free. It's because I have a savior who's faithful to his vow. I have a savior who's faithful to his covenant. Even when I'm faithless, he's faithful. And, and he redeems my life and he redeems your life. So if that's you this morning, just stay in your seat. We're just gonna pray. And this is not like the ending prayer. This is sort of beginning your week of, of grace prayer, okay? Where once again, maybe you've done this before, but once again, we just really lock into the grace of Jesus Christ. So band, come on up and I'm gonna pray with these folks of ours. Father, we thank you for the revelation you give us in the Old Testament of your heart that you're a covenant God, that you love your people and over and over and over you bring them back when they have strayed. Over and over and over you, you recommit to your covenant and your vow to your people. And I thank you for that, God. You are faithful. We do not ever have to question whether or not you are faithful to us. So we're grateful for that. And Lord, today we come to you because... We're like all the other rule breakers and, and sometimes we just have a hard time really believing that you could really, really forgive us. And maybe we believe you forgave us, but we just can't receive your perspective that you value us and that you love us and you want friendship with us. And that's, that's who you are. You're the friend of sinners. And so Lord, for me and for my friends here, God, we just once again say, Lord, I receive the grace that you have for me. I receive the love of your covenant. I receive your heart that says, I want relationship with my people. And Lord, not just today, but, but this week, I'm gonna work on, this is my, my project, I'm gonna work on releasing my guilt and shame for whatever it's, it's been. And I'm gonna receive the cleansing, sweeping, flowing power of your grace over my life. And I am going to let go of what it is you want me to let go. I'm going to let you fill me with your spirit. I'm going to let you live in me and through me in a new way. Thank you, Jesus. In your precious name, I pray. And everybody said, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's sing about this beautiful, amazing covenant love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.